I invite your attention to the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 52. My passage is one of the servant passages. There are four of them in this prophecy of Isaiah. Jehovah, four times, speaks of one whom he calls my servant. The one we will consider now is beginning in chapter 52, verse 13, and goes through the end of the 53rd chapter, verse 12. I want you to notice as we read this passage that Isaiah has very vividly described the death of Jesus Christ. Perhaps more vividly in this one chapter, particularly the 53rd chapter, than any other passage in the Old Testament. But notice this. Isaiah speaks of the death of Jesus Christ in all three tenses. Now, I should remind you, he wrote 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. He described the death of Jesus Christ in the future because he was a prophet. He also described it in the present tense as though he were a contemporary. He even described the death of Jesus Christ in the past tense as though he were a historian. Now, you have the synopsis. And I'm going to read from the synopsis, King James Version, in the synopsis. I want you to read along with me because I'm going to show you the divisions between past, present, and future. And he goes back and forth between them. Consider with me. Future tense, chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall in the future be exalted and extolled and be very high. Now he reverts to the past tense. As many were as astonished or astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Now back to the future. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them they shall see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. Now chapter 53 verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of a dry ground. Now in the present tense Isaiah writes. He hath no form nor comeliness. Now goes back to the future and says, And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. 
back to the present. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now he speaks in the past tense. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and Jehovah hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shivers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Now speaking in the future tense. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of Jehovah shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Now in the past tense, because... He hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now consider, Isaiah wrote about the year 700 B.C., 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. He wrote as a prophet describing the death of Jesus Christ in the future. He wrote as a contemporary describing the death of Jesus Christ as a present reality. And he wrote as a historian describing Jesus Christ's death as a past event. And he goes back and forth, back and forth. It's rather remarkable how he does so, going back and forth between these three tenses. How can Jesus Christ's death be described by Isaiah as an event occurring in all three tenses? How can Christ be said to have died for the salvation of his people 
more than 700 years before he was born. How could Old Testament saints speak of Christ having already in his death been their sin bearer, their penal substitute, and how could they conclude that by his stripes we are healed? How could he say that? How could he say by his stripes which have not yet been inflicted? How could he say with his stripes we have been healed? How could he do that? I'll give you three reasons. First, Christ's death is not confined to the physical and visible manifestation of it on Mount Calvary. Second, Christ's death occurred from eternity. Grasp that point. Christ's death occurred from eternity. And third, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And forever. You cannot confine the death of Jesus Christ to one specific event. Cannot be done. Scripturally, cannot be done. And Isaiah, 700 years before Messiah is born, can describe his death as yet to occur, occurring right now, and already happened. Already happened. Let's consider these three points one by one. First, Christ's death is not confined to the physical and visible manifestation of it on Mount Calvary. Mount Calvary occurred 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was physically crucified. That was 700 years before Isaiah wrote, And you cannot confine his death to that one specific event. If we try to confine the death of Jesus Christ to what happened on Calvary 2,000 years ago, then Old Testament people would have died unsaved, Unforgiven, unjustified, and unsanctified. Because all of those things happened at Calvary. And yet, all Old Testament saints died saved. Saved. Centuries before the act was done that obtained their salvation. Before Jesus Christ died to obtain salvation, to justify, sanctify, reconcile his people, they already were saved, <laughs> reconciled, justified, and sanctified. How can this be? Well, they knew Jesus Christ as their sin bearer. Notice Isaiah says, Isaiah says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jehovah hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bare the sin of many. Isaiah could say with as much certainty as you can, My sin was put on him. 
He was my sin bearer. We can say, Jehovah laid our sin on Jesus Christ and He bore it to Calvary and there died for it. And Isaiah says, did it for me too. Did it for me too. Jehovah laid my sin on Christ. He bore it to Calvary and there died in my place instead. Furthermore, Old Testament saints knew Christ as their penal substitute. When we speak of a penal substitute, we're talking about one who suffers a penalty, who is penalized. We deserve the penalty. The penalty is death. He became our penal substitute, dying in our place instead, suffering the penalty that we deserve. Isaiah says he was numbered with the transgressors, 53 verse 12. Numbered with the transgressors. It is as though Jehovah says, all transgressors stand in that line right there. And off we go. Every one of us. Every one of us. And there is only one man who is not in that line. And that is Jesus Christ. He is not numbered with the transgressors. Until he comes over. And says, most parts, you go stand over yonder. I'm going to stand in your place. And he did it for every one of his people. I am no longer standing with the transgressors. He who was not the transgressor took my place. And he was numbered with the transgressors. So that transgressors could be numbered with the righteous. He was numbered with the transgressors. He took their place. He stood in their place and in their stead. For the transgressions of Jehovah's people, he was stricken. And he was stricken. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. If God is to be at peace with us, if we are to be at peace with God, there must be stripes laid. There must be chastisement given. And I'm the one who deserved it. And if it had been me that had been stricken, smitten of God and afflicted because of my sin, I could not have lived to tell it. But because it was Him, Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Immaculate, Spotless One, He who is without sin, apart from sin, never touched by it, He can bear every stripe I deserve, all the chastisement I deserve. He was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but He did it in my place instead and in the place instead of all who will believe His gospel. 
Furthermore, Old Testament saints knew Christ as their saving interceder. I know him to be that, but so did Old Testament saints. Isaiah says, He hath poured out his soul unto death and made intercession for the transgressors. Now there, on Calvary, the greatest intercession ever made was made. Yes, it was made in the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ the night before. But there on Calvary, what was he doing in his death when he was stricken and smitten of God and afflicted? He was making intercession. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And the Father forgave every soul for whom Jesus Christ made that intercession. Every one of them. That included that centurion, the Roman who was in charge of the detail crucifying him. Jesus made intercession for him. Father, forgive him. He does not know what he is doing. And when the intercession is done, that centurion says, that was a righteous man. That was a righteous man. That was the Son of God we just crucified. What have we done? He's forgiven. He was interceding for me on Calvary. When he was stricken and smitten of God, his prayer was for me. It was for all who will believe this gospel. And it was for Isaiah, <laughs> who had been dead 700 years, interceding for him as well. And it was done. And it was done. Isaiah knew him as the intercedor for him. And furthermore, if you'll read the 22nd Psalm, verse 24, God heard. Now, that 22nd Psalm is very important. Jesus Christ on Calvary said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, you'll find those words. Psalm 22, verse 1. And if you read the entirety of that 22nd Psalm, you're going to find every detail in it applies to the death of Jesus Christ. And then the 24th verse, you'll find, He cried and Jehovah heard. <laughs> he prayed and made intercession and Jehovah heard. Such a blessed truth is this, and Isaiah knew him as his saving intercedor. Furthermore, Old Testament saints were healed with Christ's blood prior to his physical death. Isaiah writes with his stripes, that is, from the scourges he endured as a substitute. With his stripes we are healed from all physical infirmity and spiritual infirmity but the spiritual infirmity first. We are healed from the leprosy of sin. We are healed from spiritual deafness, from spiritual muteness. 
from spiritual paralysis. We're healed from all of those things so that we can hear the gospel. So that we can come to Christ. So that we can proclaim Him. Furthermore, we're going to be healed from all physical infirmity. My beloved and I discussed on the way over today. And we, we still do not understand. You know, we just not long ago said goodbye to our son. And, you know, you uh, just some things you cannot understand. I do not question what God has done. What he did was absolutely right. But sometimes you just cannot understand why it was that God has done. But I do know this. My son, on his deathbed, was riddled with physical infirmity. Pain, suffering. And the very moment he breathed his last, every physical infirmity he ever knew was gone. (laughs) Like that man that Peter healed who could not walk. He was walking and leaping and praising God. In one moment, my son is unable to move on his deathbed. And in the very next moment, he wakes up in glory and he's walking and leaping and praising God. How can that be? The stripes of Jesus Christ have healed him. The stripes of Jesus Christ. By his stripes, we are healed. Furthermore, Old Testament saints were justified by Christ's blood Prior to his physical death, Jehovah prophesied to Old Testament saints, My righteous servant shall justify many. He declared it to be a future event. How were they justified in that future event? In the epistle to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 9, they were justified. On Calvary, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when he said, it is finished, they were justified. He was raised because of our justification. And yet, Isaiah, 700 years before the fact, can say, I'm justified. I'm righteous. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has already been imputed to me. Justified before that blood was shed. How can that be? If you'll go to Romans chapter 4, you'll find this. That Abraham, our patriarch, 2,000 years before Jesus Christ was born, was justified. He believed God and was declared to be righteous. And in Romans chapter 4, we read, 
that if we are justified, it will have to be the very same way. God has only one way of justifying sinners. Only one way. He did it to Abraham 2,000 years before Christ. He did it to me 2,000 years after Christ. And he did it the same way both times. Job was justified. For God declaring him to be perfect and upright. Oh, yes, he made mistakes. We read this this morning. Our brother Chris, Elihu, yeah, he's the wisest of the whole bunch, isn't he? The young man. He was polite enough to <laughs> let the others make fool of themselves. And then he spoke. Well, God must be justified, Elihu says. And this God says, Job is perfect and upright. How could Job be perfect and righteous before God? Through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah and therefore was a just man and perfect in his generations. Job, uh, uh, Noah was justified. Think about it. Furthermore, in Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, in quoting Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, Paul the Apostle says, Blessed are they to whom God does not impute sin, and to whom he imputes righteousness apart from works. Old Testament saints had the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to them, and God did not impute their sin to them. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Furthermore, Old Testament saints were redeemed by Christ's blood prior to his physical death. Now we read this again this morning in the passage from Job. Job describes a man, and the application can be made to a man under deep conviction of sin. He's lost his appetite. Oh, if you've ever come under deep conviction of sin, the sorrow in your heart, and you realize that God's justice is behind you on your trail, and God's justice demands your death, and you have now come... And you're standing on the very precipice of eternity. Standing on the edge of the abyss. Justice is coming after you. You've lost all hope of life. You have no hope of living. And you know that you must die. And just as you come to the very precipice of eternity, Jehovah calls out, Deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. Well, who's the ransom? Well, there's only one. There's only one. That was Jesus Christ. Job, speaking 2,000 years, or this is Elihu, actually, 2,000 years, speaking of God. If he is merciful, if he is merciful, he says, deliver him 
I have found the ransom and that ransom is Jesus Christ. Christ assured Old Testament saints, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by my name, thou art mine. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. They prayed to him. Now listen to this in Old Testament times. Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old. <laughs> um, purchased of old. The congregation is not purchased until the blood is shed. Yeah, uh, that's right. Well, the blood is not shed until it's shed on Calvary. Okay, yeah. But you say he purchased it of old? Yeah. How long ago? From eternity. <laughs> Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased from eternity. Job confessed, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Even though the Redeemer had not been born. How could, how could Old Testament saints know such truths? All God's elect were in Christ before the foundation of the world, and in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians chapter 1. Their redemption was from, was from of old. Furthermore, number seven, if you're following in your synopsis, Old Testament saints were saved prior to Christ's physical death. In Psalm 85, verses 2 and 3, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself aside from the fierceness of thine anger. Now, the point that I am making to you is this. Every blessing of salvation that we enjoy was enjoyed by Old Testament saints just as much. Just as much. How can this be? It is because Christ's death occurred from eternity. In men's eyes, the death of Jesus Christ occurred on Calvary in time and at a physical place. In God's eyes, the death of Jesus Christ was from eternity. And what men saw on Calvary was what God saw before the foundation of the world. What was manifested there on Calvary is said by Peter to be foreordained before the foundation of the world. What men saw happen on Calvary was just a visible, visible, physical manifestation of what had already happened in old eternity before the foundation of the world. When God foreordained from eternity, or what He foreordained from eternity, was by Him considered 
already done, and we need to grasp that point. God does not make decisions. He does not make proposals. He makes decrees. A decree. It is more binding than that of the Medes and Persians. It is a fiat. It must be done. When God decreed something from eternity to be done, it was by him considered as done. Already. Already. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world, even from eternity. Even from eternity God calleth those things which be not as though they were. From eternity. God knew Jesus Christ as the Redeemer of his people. Because God had decreed it. And in God's sight, it was done. When God foreordained before the foundation of the world that his people be redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, they were redeemed. How were they redeemed? The writer of the epistle to the Hebrews says, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, this covenant is everlasting, everlasting, all the way into the past, before the foundation of the world, all the way into the future, still effectual when time is done. By the blood of the eternal covenant, in old eternity there is a covenant cut and made between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in this covenant, the Father says to the Son, He will give him a people, but you must die for them. You must die in their place instead and for their sins. And the Son says He will. That covenant must be fulfilled. That covenant, that decree was fulfilled before the foundation of the world through the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, even from eternity. When the world was founded, He was already slain. Already slain. He had already shed the blood of the eternal covenant. God's people were redeemed when God foreordained it before the foundation of the world. All right, that's the second main point. We'll close with the third one. How can it be that Isaiah can describe the death of Jesus Christ as a past event, a present reality, and something to occur in the future? How can the death of Jesus Christ be described like that? Here's the third reason. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever He is now, He always has been and always will be. 
He said the same even in the Old Testament where we find these words in Malachi 3.6. This is Jesus Christ speaking. I am Jehovah. I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am immutable. I am never changing. Whatever I am, I always was and always will be. What Jesus Christ is to his people today is what he was to them in the past and what he will be to them in the future. He is the author of eternal salvation. Now, is that not a glorious expression? Hebrews 5, 9. He is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Eternal salvation. Preacher, does, uh, 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 does that mean once you're saved, you're always saved? Well, that's part of it. Once I was, once I was saved, I always was saved. <laughs> my salvation did not begin at some point in my life. No, no, no. Once saved, when was it? Before eternity. He is the author of eternal salvation. He is therefore their eternal Savior and salvation, their eternal justifier and righteousness, their eternal Redeemer and redemption. Jesus Christ was as much the Savior and justifier and Redeemer and ransom of, and forgiver of Old Testament believers as He is to us believers here in the year of our Lord, 2024. Well, that floats my boat, as Scott Richardson would say. That floats my boat. It's weighty. It's a heavy subject. It is no wonder that Isaiah begins the 53rd chapter with a question. Who has believed our report? When in the first place, who can believe it? Who has believed our report? Then, having asked the question, he answers it. To whom has Jehovah laid bare his arm? To whom is the arm of Jehovah revealed? If Jehovah ever reveals his arm to you, you will become a believer. My father, in his youth, was muscle-bound. And even when I was a, a wee lad, I can still remember. He was a paratrooper of World War II. And uh, raised on the south side in a middle town. He was, he, and he was muscle bound. And I can recall. <laughs> I can recall. When I was just a wee lad. My father would pull his arm up. And flex that muscle. And look son. That's the rock of Gibraltar. Yeah I believe it is. <laughs> He had, he had made bare his arm, and I was a believer. <laughs> when Jehovah made bare his arm, when he revealed his arm, 
I believe the gospel. Now I'm going to ask you something. Do you believe this gospel? Do you believe that your salvation is in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? I can trust that Savior, a Savior who never changes. Oh, I can trust that Savior, and I pray that you will. And, oh, God, our Father, to the glory of your name and to the honor of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Bless this glorious, everlasting, eternal gospel. Bless our glorious, everlasting, and eternal Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.